Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Ria, founder of No Ties Consulting. And my name is Milos Novovic. I'm an associate professor of law. And good morning, good day, good evening, whichever time of the day it might be, good grumpy GDPR people. <laughs> Milos here as usual and Ria here as usual. Hi there, Ria. Hi Milos, how are you doing these days? I know you are crazy busy teaching at least. Yes, teaching is always tons of fun and uh, really enjoying it. Uh, tons of admin work around that, but uh, that is there is something to be enjoyed about that as well, especially for us GDPR crowd. How about yourself? Yeah, there's um, always something really interesting going on in the world of the GDPR. And this week just exploded in that sense, uh, on my part at least, because we have a decision that I found so incredibly fascinating relevant that I forced it uh, upon you and <laughs> here we are. No, not in the slightest because we had another topic in mind, right? And yeah. you were like, can we talk about this? And I was like, yes, my God, yes. This is an amazing decision. And I have to say, this is the most interesting decision from a uh, supervisory authority I have read lately, possibly ever. Yeah, me too. And, and you know, we have all those juicy meta cases and all of these uh, incredibly fascinating Article 65 binding decisions and whatnot. But I think many feel that it's uh, a bit far off. You have meta that is processing so much data for so many people that maybe it's difficult to relate to. But in this decision, however, mm. I think that many could relate to what's at hand here. Exactly. So why don't you start uh, telling us a little bit about the decision we're talking about? Yes. So this is the Norwegian DPA Datatilsyna who recently decided that an American company, Argon Medical, had violated Article 33.1 of the GDPR, that is uh, not reporting a personal data breach in time. Yeah. And hmm. it, it actually started with uh, this uh, one executive member at Argon who noticed that something funny was going on in his emails and some emails were actually missing. So he uh, reported that to uh, the IT department who started to investigate. And they found out a few weeks later that uh, somebody has been uh, prodding around in his inbox and uh, he was likely subject to a phishing email and the hacker got access to his inbox and this resulted in a fraudulent payment at the end of it. So this is typically what we in mm. Norway we call direktør svindel that is uh, aimed at the C-suite level of a company trying to get you know some juicy information to manage to get some extra money paid to uh, a fraudulent account, for example. That's my favorite excuse from now on. I've been a victim of a phishing attack. My emails are disappearing. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get back to you. <laughs> oh, that's oh. a good one. <laughs> right. So they noticed, right? Yes, they did. And uh, then uh, they... Um, Soon thereafter, they uh, they lodged uh, or they reported it rather to the FBI in the US. But they weren't wow. sure that uh, this was uh, subject to any other reporting requirements uh, other places in the world. So this was around June, a month later, uh, I think it was 19th of July, they uh, determined that... Uh, 
okay, there, there's uh, been a breach here of uh, involving the personal data. Uh, but is it reportable? And this is where they go uh, really wrong. So they end up reporting it to the Norwegian DPA because they found uh, that this affected one employee in Norway. So and mm. uh, a, a total of 20 employees uh, across different offices in the EEA. So it involved different uh, countries, uh, all subject to the uh, GDPR. So they reported it on the 24th of September 2021 to the Norwegian DPA. Uh, within the 72 hours uh, frame, they claimed, because they had only then become aware that they were subject to the reporting requirement. Yeah, that argumentation we need to definitely go back to. But what you're saying basically is that it took them some time to... They did internal investigations. They're a big multinational company. There was only one person affected in Norway, right? Yes, and a total of 20 across uh, Europe, uh, including uh, the UK and Switzerland. Yeah, and then they report this to Datatilsina here, who then proceed to say that they've reported it too late, which is the ground for a fine. Yes, in um, uh, Datatilsina's book at least. I'm sorry if it sounds like a, like I'm uh, questioning you, but it is just very incredulous to me and we will get back to that. But why don't we start with the basics? So personal data breach notifications, you have a duty to notify in principle. And then we have the infamous exception, or sorry, let's start with as soon as you find out or within 72 hours. Uh, so you have a reasonable time after or within 72 hours and that was something that Dostilsina took issue with right yeah because it it comes down to when they were aware and uh, Dostilsina claims that they should have been aware at least uh, in mid-July and when they were they should have sent out the um, personal data breach notifications to all relevant uh, supervisory authorities including in Norway yeah even though it's just one person. Just that is completely irrelevant. You yes, should report anyway without undue delay yeah. and then at the latest uh, within 72 hours, right? So True. when are you then aware? And and we've seen this being discussed in, in uh, the EDPB guidelines, for example. We've seen it discussed in other cases. But I think um, the question for me, so if, if we take one step back then, um, should... Should this have been reported to begin with? What do you think? Yes, let's start with that. Absolutely and resoundly no, because the personal data breach only involved, to the best extent on my knowledge, of my knowledge based on these facts, it involved in essence information about salary, information which is publicly available in Norway. Perhaps not directly, uh, as in this employer paid you that much, but all the tax returns are fully available. The information on your financial circumstances is public. Uh, I don't see how there would be any risk at all involved in somebody having a data breach which involves publicly available data about you. Yeah, that is a very uh, good point, actually, because... 
uh, when com- coming into this, from my perspective, I think it is reportable um, because it is a breach uh, and uh, it involves personal data. And I'm not sure you can fully exclude a risk to the rights and freedoms of the uh, affected data subjects. So even if there is uh, uncertainty around it, you are required to report it. Yeah, but there can be no uncertainty. Even EDPB says like if if the information is publicly available, there can be no risk. And here there is that caveat that uh, you could have several employers. So maybe it won't be publicly available how much you get paid from exactly that one. But the risk is so minimal. Like with all the people in the country, all of their tax information being publicly available, I really see no risk. But okay, let's assume it's not Norway. Let's assume that the information about your salary is made uh, publicly available. Even then, all the things which are listed in the decision, all the potential risks, identity theft, um, I don't really see how those risks can materialize um, you know, it just strikes me as very strange that um, somebody will be able to steal your identity based on knowing how much you earn and your name. Yeah, and this is something that I also reacted to because uh, there are <laughs> there are so many nuggets in this decision. Like I've highlighted mm. it so much that it's almost all in color. <laughs> but yeah. one thing that I found really particular in this relation was that um, they say that Uh, even though the attacker was probably not specifically aiming at collecting personal data, the attack was likely financially motivated as it led to a fraudulent payment. So I think it's pretty fair Mm. to assume that the intention was not to misuse uh, personal data. But anyway, Mm. so they continue to say that the data accessed by the attacker could be used to commit actions leading to both material Uh, like financial loss and non-material damage, identity theft or fraud, uh, or could be used to facilitate other attacks like phishing. And I agree with you. I think that is a stretch if you look at the uh, personal Mm. data in question. But having said that, Oregon themselves actually said and admitted that uh, this personal data could be sensitive. And if that is the controller's assessment, they're kind of placing themselves in the position to having to notify. Right. But this is exactly, you know, what I wanted to say right now. So this is a mistake on their part, uh, because when they filed the report, when they filed the notification, they said, oh, we consider this to be risky because it can lead to identity theft and this and that. And then that's you know, more or less copy pasted that and said, yeah, well, the controller considers it to be high risk. So it is high risk. So that's, you know, does not kind of reevaluate this. Is there here some actual risk? So I guess uh, the message to the controllers then is uh, don't overstress the risks. Don't overemphasize them, right? Because everything you say can and will be used against you. And it shouldn't be like that. Absolutely not. I think that everybody deserves the benefit of the doubt, which is another thing Mm. that I think is a shame in this case. But again, okay, going back to is it reportable or not? Uh, We're not entirely in agreement there. You mentioned some guidelines where you uh, read this part about uh, the publicly available information. Which guidelines uh, uh, were those again? Personal breach, the EDPB. Yeah. 
one cool. we'll, personal brief. We'll add just all of the links and, and all of the resources in the show notes uh, as usual. Of course. But is it reportable? I guess we disagree there. Uh, I'm fully pushing for, come on, it's info which you can get other places. I can see how that might not be entirely true. I still don't see how it can be abused. But more or less, uh, let's, let's assume it is. Let's assume it was something that was supposed to be reported. Do you think that the case was handled properly, investigated properly? Because from my standpoint, it seems like uh, there were a lot of assumptions, uh, and I see this pattern in a lot of data protection agencies' decisions. And that is, again, that leads us back to the why am I the biggest fanboy of the Irish DPC? Because lots of facts are not substantiated, they are not examined, they are not properly introduced as evidence. And in this decision, we see tons of factual assumptions. Uh, but that could maybe just be my observation. Yeah, I am curious about this, to say the least, um, because I th it, when they are looking at the sanctions, when they are assessing should we fine or not, uh, what should the level of the fine be? So the DPA, they say that a central element of the analysis of the gravity of the infringement should be whether the nature and scope are indicative of broader compliance issues. And I, I uh, see that other people have commented on that as well on some of my LinkedIn posts uh, regarding this case. So let's say that, okay, you are getting punished because we think that there are uh, broader compliance issues. This was the right. same as in the SOTS case, uh, remember? Mm, so, right. Uh, but at the same time, I found something very peculiar. Because when they go through the um, rationale for um, imposing the fine, mm. they also say that they kind of completely disregard any other policies and procedures and technical and organizational measures taken by the controller. So they are, ex and this is important to note, the whole decision is exclusively on 33.1. Nothing else. 25, 32, mm. 51F, whatever. It's all out of play. It's only exclusively 33.1. And this is emphasized again and again throughout the decision. So at the one point, they say that we are disregarding everything else of measures and the policies and procedures mm. that you have in place. But they still say that we are finding this yeah. so uh, serious because it, it's indicative of a broader compliance mm. issue. I don't see how those yeah. two go together. No, but that's horrible. That is horrible. So what how, what I'm hearing right now is we don't care about your security measures. We do not care how uh, quickly you try to mitigate this. What did you put in place to prevent this? You could have had the best thing in the world. Uh, we don't care that you notified the American authorities immediately that you actually took care to notify us at all about this again one employee mm -hmm. information about salary nothing there matters we don't uh, accountability uh, data security nothing to us you know 72 hours it's such a formalistic mm -hmm. it's such a uh, it's a horrible i will just say it outright it's a horrible approach to gdpr compliance it's exactly what we wanted to avoid and what you and i preached so many times don't go with like 4% fine, and uh, if it's not within 
72 hours, the clock is ticking now. Like, what are you encouraging them? And I think this is hugely problematic. And it's not the fine itself that uh, raises my eyebrows or I think is... uh, Uh, offer so much criticism necessarily it's that throughout the whole decision there's no benefit of the doubt there's no exercising discretionary uh, on the part of the controller it seems to uh, throughout the whole decision emphasize everything in the most negative sense and this is problematic for example where they uh, state that um, as a root cause uh, the, they have uh, external, they're getting, this could be a symptom of a root cause. I can't remember the exact mm. uh, phrasing there. But that mm. organ, the controller, had gotten external help. And it's written in such a way that it seems like a negative. But how can it be that you have a controller based outside of Europe taking extra mm. steps to get to qualify the help that they get, to get really highly skilled people to help them in national markets where they aren't the experts and then it sort of seems like that's used against you? It blows my mind and just without any substantiation then to say broader compliance issues. I mean, come on, it's a phishing attack. You know, I'm very tempted to start phishing emails, uh, sending phishing emails to that (laughs) and see, you know, if somebody clicks, that is indicative of broader compliance issues. And if you bring the national security uh, authority kind of which deals, I guess, uh, with this, then that's indicative again, that you don't have your stuff in place. Uh, Milos, so I think that that is another, we have yeah. forgotten to mention another really key insight about this decision. And that is the fact that when at last the controller did uh, send all of these uh, notifications to the various supervisory authorities, I believe there are uh, six of them. I'm not sure I haven't gotten that confirmed, but we know that there are uh, several countries involved with a total of 20 employees and none I repeat, none of the other supervisory authorities did anything. They all closed their cases. And this is also highly problematic uh, in uh, Mm. enforcing the GDPR because it's supposed to be similar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they explicitly write in the decision, oh, but we are not bound by the decision of other supervisory authorities. No, but, you know, maybe it would have been nice to take a look. And also what... Yes, what does this say about the European cooperation? Yeah, and and uh, it's I don't understand why they are using this case because let's assume then uh, that they are using this for a signaling effect which is hugely important when imposing sanctions, right? You want to deter others from uh, doing uh, the same uh, or the same controller to do the same again, but I think that if, it, if we assume that this was a reportable uh, incident and they did indeed breach 33.1 as a consequence because it was so late, uh, then they could have imposed um, uh, or ordered them to improve their internal policies and procedures. They could have offered no. guidance to the controller to help them understand their uh, obligations. Mm. Of course, we all know, we all should know every letter uh, to the T, but that's not how it always works in the uh, in real life. This is uh, a controller mm. based outside of Europe. Is it fair to expect that everybody outside of Europe should know our laws as intimately as we who actually live here? 
Well, I mean, even if they have a very good point in saying, well, you're a controller, you have to know. Okay, fine. But you know, to me, it just seems like such an act of good faith to notify at all about this amount of information, to notify 20, right? Yeah. Supervisory authorities. No, about six, And then six, just to have this kind of... Oh, okay. In any case... Like, I don't think I would be reporting again myself. That's exactly what they expressed. So a representative from the company actually commented uh, on one of my LinkedIn posts saying that uh, if this decision... So I can mention also that they did complain. The uh, DPA, they uh, reviewed the case again, but upheld uh, all of their conclusions. So uh, then it automatically goes to the Privacy Appeals Board, which is something particular here in Norway. So it's currently being appealed. Yeah, he said that uh, we should worry about uh, how controllers deal with the notifications if this decision is uh, upheld. Exactly. Because then you have two outcomes uh, there, right? There are only two things which can happen. Either people stop notifying at all, or Datatelsina gets like 13 billion notifications. And, you know... And it makes no sense the more I think about it. Okay, 72 hours, you know, are they going to take time zone changes into account? Like, what the hell? Oh, that's a very interesting uh, aspect. I haven't even thought about <laughs> no, that. But I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. So, but it's also, if you give the benefit of the doubt to the controller in this particular case, then they misunderstood, they misread the requirement, they did their best, uh, assumably they uh, sourced local help with uh, local legal counsels and other external people to try to uh, help them with this. So uh, I just can't see why you wouldn't give anyone the benefit of the doubt here. And if you also look at other cases concerning 33.1, you had, for example, the Twitter decision, uh, the Article 65 one that was actually referenced in the case where they also breached mm-hmm. 33.1 uh, with a two days delay and they uh, also breached 33.5. That concerned almost 90,000 people in the EEA. And Twitter, mm. they identify the potential impact as being significant for affected individuals. And the fine? Mm. 450,000 euros. Yeah. But even setting aside that this, as you said, should not have been a fine. If you choose to react, as you say, Find another measure. It needs to be proportional. It needs to be, they have to think more carefully about the signaling effect. And to me, honestly, this is apparent. This is making our everyday lives as privacy professionals much more difficult because we're right back at that square one where we no longer talk about culture, about training, about Mm -hmm. fun stuff, about telling people, yes, we're going to make this procedure, but let's make it together. Let's work, you know, relax. There is some flexibility under the GDPR. Let's just care about the data subjects. Nope. This just wipes that away. Yeah, I think there is a risk uh, in doing this. And um, I really wish that the DPA had used this opportunity to provide some guidance and publish the case and just um, (laughs) explain again and underline what the requirements are here in Europe. And uh, even though, let's say that, let's look at the facts of the case as well. It involved one single employee. And if the controller Mm. hadn't been subject to Article 3.1, 
then the GDPR wouldn't even apply to the processing in question at all. Yeah. Can you believe right. that? Like, and, and even mm. absolutely no harm had materialized. Um, and of mm. course, the DPA speculates that we don't know at this point, maybe there could be some uh, harm, but you know, you can walk out yeah. the door and get hit by a bus as well. So it's very, mm. everything uh, seems to me to be strongly based on uh, mere, mere assumptions. And there hasn't been mm. harm. Yeah. There was one data subject involved. And I think that that should also be taken into more consideration in this case. Not only just that, but as you say, like when they talk about compliance issues, I distinctly remember them making a remark uh, along the lines of, but this is a company which operates in the health sector. They should have better, uh, I don't remember the exact wording, but I do recall that they took that against them, that they operate in the health sector. I mean, come on, but this was, there was no discussion here of health data. There was nothing. Yeah, uh, that was very strange. That was me. completely irrelevant. And also in that uh, section that you reference, they are, they say, they state that they expect uh, such an actor to have uh, better policies and procedures in place. But they are only exclusively looking at this one technicality of mm. the 72 hours. They, they completely disregard the whole cybersecurity program that they launched in 2020 and all of the other uh, policies and procedures that they reference. But that said, it, the, the controller isn't, uh, you know, 100% squeaky clean uh, throughout this either because they didn't share their information policy with the, the DPA. And there are other things here that, uh, you know, aren't uh, best case compliance. So absolutely, mm. they haven't done their part with respect to the GDPR here, but I just think that the reaction uh, isn't uh, warranted. I also want to mention, Milos, before we wrap up, that uh, when we speak about these cases, be it the DPC or the Norwegian DPA or the Danish DPA, we are always criticizing the Bureau just to have that out there, that mm. we are not targeting any case handlers or any individual, because how this actually works in the DPAs is that it is a collaborative effort, regardless of whose name is on the actual decision. I think that goes without saying. Yeah, there was a comment but on LinkedIn thank you that for made bringing me it say up. it. So. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 of course. No, but I think that uh, in any case, in my view at least, this is a waste of public resources and this is damaging our ability to work with the GDPR in the way we should. And I know that I sound extremely grumpy and I know that, uh, you know, when I thought I cannot out grumpy myself than when it was than when it came to cookie walls, here I am, my God. Yeah, I was pretty grumpy expected? too, uh, Milos, and I can see from the response on LinkedIn as well that uh, others are. But there are differences of opinion. And I, I want to say this as well to, to everyone out there working with privacy and data protection. Please voice your opinions. I know that so many of you are so afraid to write stuff on LinkedIn, write your own articles, post or comment on others' posts. Imposter syndrome is well and alive uh, everywhere here. But if we all contribute to this dialogue and this discussion, we can only be better. So uh, I just want to say that as well. People, please uh, join the debate. Absolutely. And uh, I think we can wrap it up on that very positive message, even though we were <laughs> very grumpy today. I don't want to exclude it from um, us being 
kind of able to revisit this uh, decision again because I think that there is so much to pick apart here. But uh, thank you for now, Idea, and I think that we're both going to have many, many, many more conversations, hopefully involving audience members as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye.